1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Janice Dean podcast. I'm Janice Dean, and today I'm back with another friend that made the Dean's List. Adam Carolla is a radio personality, a comedian, and host of the wildly popular Adam Carolla show. I have to tell you a little bit about how I was able to persuade him to come on my show. I was a guest on his podcast a few years ago when I was promoting my book, Mostly Sunny, and we had a wonderful chat. He's a great interviewer. So when I saw him on Fox & Friends promoting his new book, Everything Reminds Me of Something, I waited for him to come into the green room after his appearance And I said, hello, I asked if he would be a guest on my brand new podcast, and he told me he had wall to wall interviews in New York promoting his book, but that he would definitely try to squeeze me in. He didn't have a publicist or anyone with him, and he gave me his email and said he would try to arrange it. Adam was true to his word, and I'm grateful for that. But I wish we had more time because I had so many more questions to ask. I feel like sometimes it takes a few minutes to really get comfortable with a person, and the best answers come when you're well into a conversation. But he did promise me next time he'd give us a bigger window of opportunity to talk more. And I will follow up because I think he's a fascinating guest. So here's part one of our conversation with Adam Carolla for now, with part two hopefully coming at a later date. Adam Carolla, it is an honor Oh, really? Yes, it really is. Um, Brian Kilmeade was my official guest, Mm -hmm. my first official guest on the Janice Dean podcast. Mm -hmm. And I told him that you might be more important.
0: Uh, But he knows that. (laughs) You don't have to tell him.
1: He's self-deprecating that way. He knows. Mm -hmm. He knows. Thank you for being here. Tell me, first of all, about your new book.
0: Um, I write comedy books that have sort of a message, you know, and uh, an angle to them and... You know, first and foremost, for me, it's like the books have to be funny. Yeah. I don't, I'm here to make people laugh. I'd like to make them think a little and kind of maybe change their mind about a few things. But they're always funny first, and I, and I always feel like, well, of course, what, what would I say about my book? But I, I, I always tell everyone who's thinking about the new book, who maybe hadn't read any of my other books, just go to Amazon and check the ratings on them, See, read a few reviews. If people say they're funny, then this one will be funny as well.
1: So that's your goal, funny.
0: My goal is funny with a, huh, I never thought of it that way. Or that's an interesting angle. You know, it has to be funny kind of with an angle. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, knock-knock jokes, fart jokes, whatever. Funny, but I kind of always want to be funny with a, huh, never thought of that.
1: What's the big huh in this one?
0: Well, the thing that's different about this book is... Normally, the process for writing a book is you you say a bunch of stuff, you think a bunch of stuff, you write it down and you go, oh, that's good. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good thought. Um, this book was the questions were generated by either celebrity friends and or just folks that wrote in questions. So for me, it forced me to think of things that were different than I would have normally thought of because It's the same way when you're having a dinner conversation, you're bloviating and pontificating about all the stuff. And then someone says to you, but have you ever thought why X, Y, or Z? And sometimes when the person you're sitting across is sharp, you go, huh? I never, no, I never thought of that. And now I have to answer it. Okay. I have to go, no, I never thought that way. and, And then give an answer.
1: Give me an example.
0: The example that keeps rushing to mind where I was like, huh, was somebody said in this day and age, and I'll paraphrase, but in this day and age of progressive families and couples and everything's equal and the woman works and the man works or the woman works and the man stays at home. How come when I see people, a couple riding on a motorcycle, the guy's still the guy in front Hmm. in 2022, shouldn't it be? equal. And I thought, yeah, what is, yeah, because again, you know, there's more women in colleges now and there's more women attorneys than men attorneys and stuff, but why are the guys still hanging on to the handlebars and the women hanging on to the guys love handles, you know? And I thought, what is that? And I really had to kind of go, I need to come up with, uh, why? I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going to go look up data or anything. I just right. want to know from a sociological standpoint, why?
1: Is it a safety thing?
0: It's a safety thing, at least my conclusion, a yes. synopsis was, it's it's a safety thing in that the progressive couples that are more, you stay home with the kids, fella, and all go to work, Lady and you cook, and you know, I'll do the dishes. That those kinds of people are also fear-based people. They're double maskers. There's lots of hand washing going on. There, lots. of, they're, you know, our democracies hanging from a thread. They're those people. They're mm-hmm. scared people. They're fearful people. And those people would never own a motorcycle. Right. The only people who own motorcycles are outliers in the fear department. They're willing to engage in something that's statistically pretty dangerous. Yeah. And if you if you think that way, then you think in a more traditional mm. way. And thus the guy grabs the handlebars and she grabs the love handle.
1: Wow. What are some of the celebrities that took part in this book?
0: Oh God, I'm trying to think I should have written it down. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you know, Howie Mandels and your Ray Romanos okay. and you know, your usual usual murder's row of uh, celebrity friends.
1: What do you think of celebrities these days? Now, the ones you have in the book, obviously you can have conversations with, uh, and they have a level of non-wokeness.
0: Yeah, well, speaking of that, uh, Alec Baldwin submitted a question too, but it it was pre the whole tragedy, and the question was a little edgy, and I just thought... It, it, it was some version, again, I'm just, I, I didn't do it in the book. I right. did it in the audio book, mm-hmm. but the book was like, oh, this thing just happened. Yeah. I don't know. It's like something like if you wake up every morning angry, what do you do? Or something like that. that. sounds and, like him. And I was just like, I felt weird after the whole incident yeah. with on onset shooting mm-hmm. and everything. So I just deleted it from the, from the pile. But it was discussed in the audio book.
1: Do you like Alec Baldwin? Have you like gone to dinner with him?
0: Yeah, Alec Baldwin and I would be—I guess we could consider ourselves friends. Okay. Uh, he's was a fan of mine from a long time ago, which is a, was just a weird sort of happenstance. He, um, he had a driver, and whenever he came to California, he had a, the same driver and a certain driver to drive him around the movie you know you got the same guy for four months right. you know and this guy this driver was a huge fan of the radio show I was on which was Loveline at the time and he would record it and so at some point Baldwin would get in the car for their long drive to the set or wherever there was and at some point the guy was like hey there's this guy he's funny you know you mind if we and Baldwin's like yeah I don't know. it's." whatever. It's your car. You don't need would pop it in. But eventually Baldwin would come down to the car and go like, you got some fresh Corolla? Let's listen to some new tapes because he slowly got into it. it. And then Baldwin became this big fan. I, I never met him or anything like that. I had no idea. And then one day, 20 some odd years ago, we were on a First class flight from New York to LA, and I, I remember like sitting up there going, "That's Alec Baldwin." He's in, you know, talking to a stewardess, and I saw him in the airport. You know, I was like, "That's Alec Baldwin over there." And at some point, I you know got up to use the bathroom and sort of passed him, and he's like, "Hey, it's Adam Carolla," and I was like, "Hey," and he's like, uh, "I'm a big fan," wow. and I was like, "What? Wh- wh- why?" You know, <laughs> and he goes, "I'll never forget it." I go. um he goes, what are, you, what are you in New York for? I go, I was doing Howard Stern show. And he goes, he should do your show. Oh. And I was like, wow. So that's, that was my sort of beginning with Alec Baldwin.
1: Okay. Do you feel bad for him right now?
0: I've always felt a little bit bad mm-hmm. for Alec Baldwin, even pre-shooting, because he's a really smart guy. He's a really funny guy. He's a really talented guy, but it's almost like he's so intense that it rules him, yeah. you know? And when you see guys that are more like, you know, Gutfeld or whomever, you know, it's like, they're smart, they're talented, they're funny, but they're not plagued by it. Right. It doesn't seem to haunt them. And there are other guys, you know, like Letterman, where it's like they're haunted in, in a weird way by their own intelligence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe it's just a personality thing. Maybe it's a right versus a left thing. I don't know. But Baldwin has always been sort of saddled with his ability.
1: From a young age, too, I think. Right. Probably. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But, but a, a good guy, a funny guy. And I know he comes across as this insanely sort of intense guy. And, you know, I disagree with him on, I'm sure, many issues. But he's also a guy who probably doesn't suffer fools. So I'm fine with Baldwin because he found me and was like, this guy, smart. You know what I mean? If If he doesn't think that, I think you're probably in trouble with him.
1: Stay right there. We'll have more of this story coming up. Where are we going down the road with the celebrity thing? I feel like finally people are starting to clue in to the false idol thing.
0: Yeah, I think it started a few years ago with like celebrity endorsements. You know, Oprah gets behind this campaign Mm -hmm. and -and so-and-so Obama, who's a celebrity, you know, endorses this candidate and they lose, you know, and it started at that point to kind of seep into people's mind that maybe getting... George Clooney to endorse you or Barbara Streisand to endorse you really didn't move the needle. Right. You know, it's not a watch or bottled water. It's it's a person, you know, <laughs> and, and, and maybe it doesn't even work for bottled water or watches. I don't know. But, you know, it's a big deal to get George Clooney to endorse or, you know, do a commercial for your coffee maker or your tequila or his tequila or whatever, whatever it is. But I I don't think it works in politics anymore. Mm -hmm. And, and in general they've lost whatever that kind of wizard of Oz don't mind the man behind the curtain kind of thing. The curtain got kind of pulled back.
1: Is it social media that helped with that?
0: It's probably that it's probably them getting way over their skis on way too many issues they know nothing of you know, and people just stop listening.
1: I find when I know uh, real celebrities, political leanings, it kind of does, you know, open up the curtain a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like as soon as you say something political, 50% of the population are not going to like you anymore.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I guess, I mean, I, I, I feel like there's room for nuance. You could have thoughts about abortion and the border. And, you know, and I think if they're different, I think if you go feel this way about that, but I feel differently about this other thing. And I'm in lockstep with my party on this, but here's where we differ. Then I think people at least understand you're intellectually honest. and might be, might tend to listen to you more.
1: Yeah. And you engage in that kind of dialogue on your podcast, right? That's what you like to do.
0: I, I talk to everything, uh, everyone about everything, you know, whatever they're interested in. I, I try to make it interesting to the audience, and I'm, I'm interested in comedy. I'm interested in the thought process and kind of the human process as well. And I get to talk to people from all different shapes and walks of life and forms and, you know, with crazy different backgrounds, and it's not all just comics or celebrities, and And so I I get to see a perspective of people who are coming from many different directions.
1: What do you think of when you think of a favorite show? Like, oh, that one was good. That one's going to do well.
0: Uh, Of my podcast? Yeah. Um, I think to myself usually like you know was i funny did i do a good job on this interview did i ask the right questions did i forget things did i talk too much did I, I don't want to make the interview about me sometimes i get going on something and i end up talking halfway through you know half as much as the person i'm interviewing sometimes i think about them you know did they bring their a game mm. is that someone i'd want back how did we how do we get along but the, the thing that i've really had to learn is how to interview over the years. I think that's, that's the one that takes the reps.
1: What's the key to that?
0: The key is a, I think is a balance between preparation and listening. Sometimes if you over prepare, you go right to the next question. Sometimes if you under prepare, you won't know the, certain things like they may have a love of fill in the blank and you may have a love of that, but you didn't know it. So you couldn't talk about your mutual love, and, but it's also listening. It's asking questions, you know, it, it's, it's really listening as tried as that sounds is really the best you can do in an interview. So when someone says something, you go, well, tell me about that. Not moving on to the next thing. Cause people have just drop things out there. And then if you're too busy with your steno pad, you'll, you'll skate your gloss right over it, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, it's listening.
1: You still love comedy. You still love performing.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's weird. I don't admit that I love anything other than cars and mechanical stuff and building, but it's a, it's a good way to make a living. It comes pretty easily to me so i don't i don't have to struggle with it that hard and it's nice making a living doing what you want to do, or more importantly, not doing something you don't want to do, which is what I did for many years. And I don't really get the adulation, or you know you're live when that audience, you know, a lot of comedians like, nothing better than the audience laughing. I'm not one of those guys. I'm like, you go up there, you make people laugh, that's your job. It's not nothing better. It's like, Working in a refrigerator factory go there's nothing better than when I put one of those doors on the, one of those airs. like no, no that's your job, dummy. Go up, make people laugh, and then make money to fuel your passions, which uh, for me is very mechanical things
1: you like the cars
0: cars, building architecture, tools, you know yeah. that kind of stuff
1: how 'd you do during the pandemic
0: I was fine i d- i didn't pay any attention to it. You didn't? No.
1: But you were in California. You kind of had to play by the rules.
0: I didn't wear masks and I didn't wash my hands and I didn't, I didn't do anything. And I just traveled and did shows where, where I could do shows. Where you could do it. Yeah.
1: You knew early on that, that with the lockdowns and the masks were just out of control.
0: I knew early on that they were lying to us about certain aspects of it, for me, it was age, so I tapped in probably about ten days in because I was listening to a podcast where I was talking about it, I kept saying, "How come they 're not giving us ages they just they keep telling us people died. you know somebody died in vernon or uh, or lita but they never they would always go an eighty one year old man died or a twenty six year old woman died in a plane crash or a thirty one year old man died in a motorcycle on and, wow. and I, they weren 't giving and so I'm rhythm oriented, as Dr. Drew said. He said, you're, always, you're, always, you're rhythm oriented. So I was hearing man died, woman died, man died, woman died. But for all the years before that, I was hearing 27-year-old mm. woman died, a car crash. So when I didn't get ages, I got really suspicious immediately. And then I knew they were withholding that. And I knew it was old people who were dying. And yeah. then the second I knew that, I was like... Well, they're trying to keep this from us, so I'm not listening.
1: And they're using this against us yes. to make us afraid.
0: Yes, they are. Yeah. So I'm not that way, so I just didn't I didn't buy into any of it.
1: You talk about Gavin Newsom in your book?
0: He's probably in there somewhere. <laughs> I, if people want to hear me destroy him, they can find it online. I He brought him into my podcast studio about eight years ago, and we got into it for a long time, so... If people want to hear that, it's out there. You
1: think he's going to run for president?
0: I'm I assuming he's running for president because he's saying he's not running for president. <laughs> I mean, he's a huge lying dope. So whatever he says, I just assume. Yeah.
1: So you live in California. Do you have plans to still live there? Or would you like to live elsewhere?
0: I would like to live elsewhere. So as soon as my kids graduate from high school, mm-hmm. I think I'm on the road.
1: What's your relationship with your kids? Like, how? what do you do together?
0: Uh, we uh, my boy and my daughter are very different my daughter likes going to the beach and hanging out we do that my boy likes going to movies and taking walks and, and that kind of stuff so they're just whatever they want to do whenever I'm around you know we'll do it it's mm-hmm. basically my, my policy and I'll take my son with me racing if I do a car race or something like that
1: yeah how'd you meet your wife
0: um I was on the radio and I was doing something with Jimmy and and it was a, a Jimmy thing many years ago on the radio and she showed up at the at the event.
1: That's how it happened. Yes. And then what happened?
0: And then it turned out that she worked for uh, uh, the syndicator or a production house or something uh, of a... TV pilot I just shot, and I'd never seen the pilot, and so I asked her if I could see the pilot. You know how these things work.
1: (laughs) Okay. Is she your biggest critic? Do you run jokes by her?
0: No, never. I don't run jokes by anybody. You don't? No. You just know they're funny. Or or they're not, but I know I'm better at them than than everyone else is around me, so I don't really it's It's not I've just never found it to be helpful
1: is there a science to being funny?
0: no, I, I think it's you're funny, like you're athletic and then you can work at it like a sport you think you're not
1: really so someone who's not funny, you think can become funny.
0: they could work at it, but they could never be as funny as someone who is athletic who worked ah, at that sport okay That's so the you, when
1: did you gro- did you grow up knowing you were funny?
0: No, I mean, I I thought I was funny, but I didn't have anyone around me who thought I was funny.
1: (laughs) I think you're funny. Who do you think is funny?
0: Oh, well, I did Gutfeld yesterday. He's funny. Of course, Jimmy Kimmel's funny. Alec Baldwin's funny. There's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of really talented, funny comedians, actors, and everything Mm
1: -hmm. out there. What do you think of, you know, You don't want to be censored, obviously. Are we going to get the pendulum swinging in the other direction?
0: I think it's starting to move that direction. And we're kind of getting there. And we're not there yet. But we're going. And then there's still going to be groups going harder the the wrong direction. But I I think we're getting there.
1: So you're a hopeful guy?
0: I, I I don't care guy. I do what I do. If you guys want to argue about nothing or double mask or not hike on a horse trail because the governor told you not to, you do it mm-hmm. and have fun with your pitiful life.
1: What about goals? What are your
0: goals? Um, well... My goal is to wrap up this podcast pretty soon. <laughs> I know you. I, I know he
1: gave me fifteen minutes. We went past, and I appreciate I, I, that. I,
0: I, I, would stay for an hour and a half. It's like I have cars waiting. Okay. I'm going downtown. It's like a crazed schedule. Okay. So my goal is to leave. Uh, <laughs> other than that, nothing comes to mind. One
1: more question: Did you find a good Chinese place to eat?
0: Oh, do not get me started, oh, Janice. No. Do not get me started, Janice. Do not get me started. Just,
1: it didn't happen?
0: It did not happen.
1: I'm really sorry about Thank that. Thank you. How about the next time you come, I'll take you to my place?
0: Please. I like
1: it. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And now, one more Dean's List before we go. I wanted to tell you a story about my son, Theodore. A couple of weeks ago, I was driving to the mall with my youngest son, Theodore. There was a man standing on a patch of grass as traffic was coming in and out from both directions. He was holding a sign that said, Please help. I'm homeless and hungry. We had the green light and there were cars in back of me, so I didn't stop. It would have caused a big backup, and all I could think of was the honking of angry motorists behind me. I saw the man, of course, and I felt bad. But I was concentrating on heading to our destination without getting into an accident. Theodore immediately said to me, Mom, that man is hungry. We have to do something. I told him, buddy, I'm sure he's going to be okay. Someone will give him money today and he'll go get something to eat. But that didn't satisfy my son. As we walked through the mall, he kept asking me if we could get the man something to eat. I agreed and I said we would buy lunch and then add something extra in case we see him again. We ordered our meal and Theodore reminded me we had to get a sandwich for the poor man on the road. And so we did. When we were in our car heading home... Theodore kept looking out the window and asking when we might see the man. It was raining, and I said maybe he went inside somewhere to get dry. Just as we were about to exit the mall parking lot, Theodore spotted the man he had been worried about for hours. But he was on the other side of the highway, and I said that it would be a little difficult for me to do a U-turn and turn around. And then my boy, in the sternest of voices, said, Mom, you have to do this. You can do this. We have to give the man his sandwich. I realized in that moment that he was right. It was too easy to just continue to go home and forget about that hungry man with the sign. And so I spent the extra 10 minutes to drive around to where we spotted him. I knew if we didn't do this, my boy would never forgive me. As we approached the man with his sign, I rolled down my window and I gave him the extra sandwich we had bought at the restaurant with some added cash I had with me in my wallet. The man took the food and said, God bless you, ma'am. And then we pulled away. I looked at my son in the back of the car through the rearview mirror. He was smiling. And I told him he was right. He was right that we needed to do something kind for the hungry man at the side of the road. I thanked my son for being kind and so good hearted. I was so proud of him at that moment. As we drove home, the sun came out. And Theodore said, That's God's way of thanking us. And that's when I started to cry. And I said, You're right. You're right, buddy. Sometimes God reminds us that doing the right thing is very important. It's a reminder to all of us it doesn't take much to help someone in a time of need. We just have to take the time out of our day to do it. Today, my son Theodore makes the Dean's List. Thank you to all of my listeners. If you have someone you think should make the Dean's List, let me know at Dean on Twitter or FNC on Instagram. Or you can rate this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.